and welcome to the Sweeper Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hole. Good evening. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, we had a good weekend, didn't we? Went to uh, went to watch some lower league football this weekend. Uh, about the lowest you could get in, in, in the football league, actually. Literally, yeah. So we went to see uh, bottom of League Two Chesterfield against uh, second bottom in League Two Barnet, and we saw a thriller, didn't we? Yeah, it was. Um... I mean, anything to take the attention away from the fact it was one of the coldest days I've ever been outside. But yeah, it was uh, one all, and uh, it's, there's some tasty challenges in there, but also one of the worst own goals you'll ever see. Uh, great finish for the first goal, though. John Akindi, yeah, yeah absolute, superb. absolute belter. And uh, we we got to mix a little bit with the Barnet fans, didn't we? We went went in the away end because we thought the atmosphere might be a bit yeah. better, and. Uh, Weirdly enough, we were just greeted by seas of men in shorts who made the journey north from clearly the tropical um, <laughs> climbs of London and, and found themselves in, in snow-covered Chesterfield. And uh, I, I'm not really sure what what had hit them because they spent the majority of the second half watching from the uh, watching from the depths of the stadium, didn't they? They were watching on telly by the uh, yes. by the by the pie and beer stands. So we uh, did the did the noble thing and joined them. Yeah, and the, the problem we did have was that we obviously blended in quite well with the Barnet fans because the Chesterfield fans didn't take to us too well when they uh, when they scored their equaliser. A lot, a lot of glances our way, a lot of profanities, and uh, yeah, it made for a, a quick, hasty retreat from the stadium afterwards as well. It, it did indeed, yeah. We uh, we had to hot-foot it back to the train station to get the hell out of here, and uh, it, it wouldn't really bother me if I never go to Chesterfield again. <laughs> No, I, I would tend to agree with you, to be honest. I've, I've, I've had my fair share of Chesterfield now, so let's get it out of the way. Indeed, and let's move on from the bottom two teams in the league to the top two teams Indeed. in the league. Manchester and, uh, United, Manchester City. Yeah, so obviously City won this game 2-1, and um, title race over? Uh, yeah, potentially. Uh, I think it's going to take a hell of a lot for them to, to really crumble now. Um and also, as we've said previously, you know they've found out different ways of, of playing and different ways of winning. And for me, yesterday they were fantastic all over the park, and they really limited Manchester United. Who, to be fair, I think before the game there was question marks over whether, whether Mourinho would come out and ruin it. And looking at the starting lineup, I was surprised that he'd gone for that. And you know, Lukaku was up top with Rashford, Lingard, and Martial, and you just thought, hang on a minute, they're going to have a go here, and then. Yeah, I mean, they just got stifled and, and everything just went long and bypassed the, pretty much the four of them. Yeah, I think that um, I watched a little bit of the, of the uh, uh, pre-match build-up with, with Gary Neville and, and Noel Gallagher on there. And Gary Neville sort of came out and said, oh, he'd heard on the grapevine that United were going to throw it out the window and basically just, just go for this game and just, just rip up the the Mourinho handbook. And um, I, I think the lineup would would suggest that yeah. they did that. But but I think stifled's the right word. I think that City just got their foot in pretty much on on every early challenge and, and just look to boss the game and I think that United failed to react quick enough I know they obviously got the goal just before half time to go in at one all and um, you you almost thought at that point that the second half would be a completely different match and that, that United would be the ones on the front foot but it was City who came out looking to score the, the next goal and, and, and it just shows the ambition that Guardiola's got and, and that's obviously 14 league wins on the trot now they're, they're absolutely out on their own in terms of that record and um, I I had them down to 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 either draw or lose this game. I thought that their their sort of perceived lack of of real form of late would come to uh, to bite them, but but 
they showed the grit and determination that you need to almost get through a game like that without necessarily playing your best football. But I think when you look at their best players, they all really stepped up on Sunday. I think Vincent Company had a good game. Yeah. Um, Edison was unbelievable. That double save from Lukaku and Mata towards the end of the yeah. game ultimately took the points home for City. And David Silva had a great game. De Bruyne looked really good. And United's big players... I mean, Lukaku didn't really turn up, had that shot in the second half where he probably should have scored, probably would have scored had it been any other goalkeeper in the Premier League. And um, he looks bereft of confidence. You just wonder whether this will really take the stuffing out of that, that, that United side and you'll just see the gap widen even more now. Yeah, I think they missed Pogba, didn't they, yesterday? I think they needed someone to put their foot on the ball and, and play football a little bit and as I say you know they were bypassed there seemed to be so many long balls and you don't expect that at any level of the Premier League really but particularly not from the, the kind of two top teams and you know Manchester City could just play their way back out of it from the back when they received the ball and yeah it was, it was disappointing to see that from Manchester United and you know, I think they it was too little too late by the time Ibrahimovic came on and realistically all they could do then was just lump it forward and do you think that the the re-emergence of Ibrahimovic of late since coming back from injury has maybe put a little bit too much pressure on Lukaku. Do you think that earlier in the season he didn't really feel that, that there was anyone that was going to challenge him for his shirt and it's the return of Zlatan that's almost made his form go to pot a little bit? I think it's a combination of, of a number of things. I think we know full well that Lukaku's not necessarily perceived to be a big game player. I think he's shown that already with, with Manchester United. He drifts in and out of seasons anyway. Um, and I think you know they were free scoring, and, and naturally the confidence was up throughout the whole side, let alone just him earlier on in the season. And I think the the potential pressure of playing for that level of club, the potential pressure of having someone like Ibrahimovic in the background, I think all of that just plays on on your mind as a as a football player. Yeah, I agree. I think before we we go any further, we need to talk about the aftermath of this game because obviously quite a lot's come out after the game yesterday, and then in the papers today as well. Now. The Manchester City players, rightly so, celebrated this win um, in a big way because yeah. it's the derby. You've beaten the team who were second in the league. You've broken a record in, team, in terms of consecutive victories. And you don't really mind seeing teams celebrate like that. I mean, you contrast that with the way that Liverpool celebrated getting a point at home to teams last season under Jurgen Klopp where they were sort of all going hand in hand, going to the yeah. Klopp and, and giving it that one. And you, and you can sort of see either side of the coin there. Now, apparently this all spilled over back in the tunnel. Um, and before Mourinho went out to do his... Press, not his press conference, sorry, his, uh, his interviews after the game. Um, there was a bit of a skirmish and uh, Mikel Arteta came, came out of it with quite a yes. badly cut face apparently and, and, and somebody threw, threw some milk at Mourinho. <laughs> um, so what is it about that old Trafford tunnel that just seems to, to, to make these occasions go, go off afterwards? Uh, I mean, pizza and milk's an odd one, isn't it, over, over the course of the two games that we're kind of aware of. And yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I think tensions are quite often high and... Uh, in those games in particular but also generally that kind of going to Old Trafford it's a fortress isn't it it's, it's a place that teams really struggle to get anything from and I would say the two incidences that we know of have been quite crucial over the years as to how the kind of seasons have panned out as well. And how interesting would that have been if it happened at City where they've got the glass tunnel where you, where you, where you could well, have seen it all as a spectator. Indeed I think these things are going to creep further and further away from football as we go on and, and get more aware of we already are very aware of, of what people can see what people can hear and I think you know players will always behave themselves a little bit more than they probably would have done 10 20 
you know, 50 years ago, whenever it was. That's right. And also, when the cameras aren't there, you probably see it kick off a little bit more, don't you? And and, and as soon as those sort of doors are closed and the and the public eye aren't aren't around anymore, then it does give these players a bit more license to misbehave. Indeed. Another club getting their uh, tunnel next year. Spurs. They are. They're getting a glass tunnel as well, aren't they? they and are uh, but in this sort of form, they won't want to be leaving Wembley anytime soon. No, I mean you would think that you know they would be quite happy to go at the end of this season, but after this performance, five one against Stoke, uh, a Stoke side who generally do make it quite difficult for you, and possibly didn't do so this weekend. Uh, they had Edwards starting, who I think it was his second game. His first one was away at Manchester City, that didn't go so well. Second game away at Spurs at Wembley, didn't go so well. Um, so a great ball for the first goal though from Spurs absolute danger zone and most of the game really Spurs were literally just queuing up and particularly from the third goal and, and from then every attack seemed to put Spurs two or three players up every time yeah I think that um, it was a strange decision from, from Mark Hughes to drop Peter Crouch for this game I thought that somebody who'd probably been Stoke's most effective player this season so far and you would have thought putting him up against uh, defenders of of Tottenham, who who aren't first choice. Obviously, they had Eric Dyer playing at the back for them this week, who, who we've we've talked about throughout the season as being a more effective player in midfield. Would have probably troubled Spurs a little bit more, yeah, and and absolutely. and it gives them the option to go direct, which they didn't really have on um, on Saturday. And and I know it was um, it was obviously a few quick goals which sort of did for 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 Stoke in this game. And, and and Mark Hughes will be disappointed. You you just wonder how how well Pochettino managed to adapt his tactics because. The decision of Mark Hughes to put Edwards in there at right back um, was almost like Tottenham just jumped all over it. Three of the goals came directly yep. from from his involvement. Obviously, the first one from Son was a was a great ball across, and and the two Stoke players who've gone in there were unlucky to do so. But then after that, the um, the goal from uh, from Harry Kane in the second half, and then I think it was the Ericsson one towards the end as well. They 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 all seemed to um, to really go for for Edwards, and and he's had a real baptism. Baptism of fire in his Premier League career so far, and you just wonder whether that decision is one that Mark Hughes will probably look back on and wonder whether he should have done something slightly differently. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Son there as well. I thought he was instrumental, and I think he has proved that through most of this season as well. And I think he's probably taken the mantle from Deli Ali slightly. He's, um, he's he's stepped up to the mark, and he looks real quality. And, and I think he does more and more so command a, a starting place in that side. Yeah, you're right, and and he's somebody that that well. He's had to step up this season yeah. because obviously Deli Ali has been out of form. We sort of wondered earlier in the season whether it was just a case of a, a different ground, whether it was a slightly different position in the team. But um, he just doesn't seem to be getting in the positions that he was in previous seasons, and um, that'll be a worry for Pochettino because there will be spells this season where you would imagine he's going to be without the likes of Kane and Son. We've already seen Kane's been injured already this season, and it's not like Fernando Llorente when he does come in poses much of a of a problem so obviously Son's had to step up now he needs to get Ali back into the same sort of form that Eric, Ericsson and Kane have been in now people were were writing Tottenham off for the top four last week and I don't really think that that's necessarily the right way to do it but but equally they have struggled quite a lot I think that they they need to build on this home performance I think they've got another big big game on uh, on Tuesday night at home to Brighton and if they can get back-to-back wins at Wembley then that could springboard their season now Chelsea obviously will come on to speak about later on but they were beaten on Saturday and that will give Spurs massive confidence that at least one if not two of those top four positions are, are still wide open I found it really interesting that they didn't really seem to celebrate they looked very very focused and 
I wonder whether Pochettino has given them a bit of a dressing down after the recent poor performances, uh, particularly in the league. And I think if you compare that to the Champions League, you, you know, there's potentially different pressures that are on them. And maybe there's less pressure on the on the Champions League stage. And it's just that they can go out, express themselves and play with that bit of freedom, particularly in that group where they were, you know, they were down as probably third favourites and they've gone on and won the group. And, you know, you, you wonder whether this the league positions are... Are getting on top of them a little bit because there's there's so much competition there. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good point. I think that um they'll probably use that sort of mindset when they approach their uh, the next tie yeah. in in Europe. Obviously, they've they've been drawn against Juventus in in a massive clash. But I would think Pochettino will probably see that as a as a winnable tie. Juventus haven't been absolutely on their game this season so far, and um although they've probably picked up of late, I think that Spurs will see it as a winnable game and. Um, it, it 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 is quite intriguing in the uh, in the way that he tends to set his teams up in in cup games and also in league games because there does seem to be a shift in mindset and I think also with the crowd the occasion tends to be more in the um, in the European cup games you, you you can really hear the Tottenham fans get behind the side at it in these Champions League games because like you say they haven't really got anything to lose and there is that nervousness that, that, that tends to creep in at Wembley so be interesting to see how they get on midweek but but like I say if they can start putting a, a, a run of results together pre-Christmas then we all know what can happen around that period there's so many games and all it takes is for a team to win three or four on the bounce and they can be moved, moved up from sort of fifth up to, to, to even second Absolutely well another great game from this weekend with plenty of talking points Crystal Palace Bournemouth Two all, and uh, yeah, it was a rapid start from Palace. They created a number of chances, but Bournemouth took the lead with Jermaine Defoe's 200th Premier League goal, and what a goal it was as well! Love a set piece goal like that. Incredible. I mean, when they must work so hard on them at the training ground, and um, when it comes off like that, it, it's just it must be such a relief for whoever's been in charge yeah. of putting that together. What I always wonder is, will they ever try it again? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you would think that that's obviously they've spent a lot of time on that, but it shouldn't be too difficult to put together. So they might have two or three different ones. But you would have thought that that now teams teams will sort of recognise that and maybe yeah. be more switched switched on from set pieces. I, I think it's it, it's refreshing to see from somebody like Eddie Howe because he's come under pressure quite a lot this season already, and he's obviously thought, how can I get an edge on my opponents? And and it doesn't necessarily come in the way that he's going to set the team up, but actually. What can he do during the week while um, he's he's got no pressures of the fans there? What yeah. can he do to try and gain that edge over his competitors? And and you don't often see it anymore nowadays. Players have got so much skill when it comes to dead balls that more often than not you just see them put a ball in an area because they can put so much pace on the ball nowadays that it generally causes havoc. But he's obviously thinking of different methods and that point at the end of the season could be the difference between them staying up and, and, and going down. And you just you wonder whether other managers consider that sort of tactical approach. I know we see it more in the lower leagues and um, yeah. it, it's, it's just something that, I don't know, I feel the Premier League would benefit from seeing more of. You saw it in the Liverpool-Brighton game um, last week with Coutinho putting the ball under the wall and maybe it's making a bit of a comeback, who knows? Potentially, I, I bloody hope so, but there's plenty more to offer in this game as well. Um, Palace back in it with a penalty and um, you know they, they then took the lead just before half-time with, with Scott Dan grabbing a goal and that wasn't the end of it for the first half, though, was it? And there was certainly the goal of the game, which was a, another Defoe goal. And it was an absolute stunner. It was Van Basten-esque. It was indeed, yeah. I mean, that's what the uh, the commentator on Match of the Day called it. And it, it was the first thing that sprang to yeah, mind when I saw it. And, yeah. and it's one of those iconic goals that players must practice over and over again. And, and it must come off 
probably one in a hundred. But Defoe hit it sweetly enough, and and it was just one of those goals that 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 you just have to applaud. And you saw the Palace fans behind the goal. Actually, quite a few of them did applaud it, which yeah. is. Which is nice to see. It's appreciation of decent football, which um, in the modern game possibly might have sort of seeped away a little bit. So refreshing to see that from their fans. And um, yeah, a, a really strong finish to, to one of the best first halves the Premier League's probably seen this season. Yeah, second half, not so great, though. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, until the 91st minute when Palace got a penalty. And uh, yeah, what can he say? It was just a, a shocking effort, effort from Benteke, who wasn't even down to take the penalty and that that just oh, it's the most one of the most irritating things particularly after the first penalty from Milievic was so good as well see I thought he must have gone off the pitch I, 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 yeah. I didn't realise that, that he was still on the pitch until I saw Benteke starting his run up now there was no confidence in that run up and not only did he wait for the keeper to go down he then put it the yeah. same way that the keeper went it was it was a a crazy penalty from somebody who shouldn't have been anywhere near the ball. And you could see the frustration in Roy Hodgson's post-match interview. Yeah. He was annoyed. You could tell that he felt let down by by um, by Benteke. And, and you would have thought his teammates would feel the same. The way that Milievic put that penalty away in the first half, he should be absolutely nailed on to take that. Whether it's a striker who's out of form or not, those points, and we've talked about it already with Bournemouth, could be key to Palace staying yeah. in the Premier League at the end of the season. If it comes down to that, imagine how he's going to be feeling. I mean, you only had to look at James Tompkins' reaction as well. Before he'd even took it, he was not happy. He was screaming and shouting. And it was almost like he knew he'd miss. And, and that's quite worrying. You know, Benteke's not had a great season. Uh, but there's clearly something wrong with his kind of mindset. Because it's not the first time he's done it. I remember watching him for Villa and missing a few. And, you know, you just wonder how desperate is he to score that goal that he has to put himself in that situation yeah and obviously Wilfred Zaha worked so hard to win that penalty yeah. the, the second penalty that he won on Saturday and I, I want to get your opinion on this before we move on I, I think he's potentially the trickiest player in the league to face in terms of being one on one with him you you struggle to think of anyone else I mean what's your opinion on it is there anyone else that, that springs to mind or, 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 or can you sort of see my logic in that yeah I can I mean funnily enough uh, we've not seen in this season but Balassi is probably the other one as well they're both very agile um, they they've got such a low centre of gravity, and it must be really difficult to defend against. Coupled with the fact they're both very very quick as well, um, tough players, and you know it, whether you you've got they've got their back to you, whether they face on with you, I think there's always a way that they can look to get past you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think that since Hodgson's pushed Zaha and Townsend further up the pitch, they look like a a much more attacking team. They just need to get rid of Ben Teke in January and bring somebody in who's going to score <laughs> the goals that that will take them up. Because Palace create chances, but unless they've got somebody on the end of them, then they're they're going to struggle. I know they scored two goals in this game, but it's not been like that all season. And there's going to be games where they're going to need somebody who's who's willing to take the responsibility on their shoulders in the way that Ben Teke did, but actually be willing and able to convert at the same time. Absolutely. Well, another cracking game was up at St James's Park where Newcastle lost out to Leicester 3-2 and the atmosphere was cracking to start off with and then there was a goal from Hosselu within five minutes and you just think, you look at St James' Park, you look at the Newcastle fans and you just think, that's it, they're, they're on for this now and then it didn't quite work like that. Yeah, I think Newcastle are one of these teams that that seem to start games really well. We've seen it in recent yeah. weeks against um, Manchester United and Chelsea and they did a similar thing against Leicester on the weekend and you just thought, right, there's there's your platform. You're at home in this game. You're almost expected to get something. 
Um, and they just went to pieces defensively, as we've seen them do so many times the, this season. The goals were poor. They were, yeah, they were, they, they were poor goals to concede. Now, I, I've got a, an opinion on this, and, and I'm sure there will be many Newcastle fans out there who will either disagree or agree with me. I think that Newcastle have struggled defensively because of their goalkeeper situation. Um, when you go back to the successful years that Newcastle had, they had Shea Given. And Shea Given was their, their one reliable goalkeeper. And he was there for, for forever. And you'd almost just know that he'd be the first name on the team sheet. Really good organiser. Not the tallest keeper in the world. But, but you knew that he was the, the basis for a decent defence in front of him. They seem to have nobody who's able and willing to hold on to that number one shirt. And we've seen this season so far that it's, it's almost gone back and forth between Rob Elliott and Carl Darlow. Neither of which, I believe, are Premier League standard goalkeepers. I think you saw that in the mistake that Darlow made for the... For the Mares goal on on uh, on Saturday, and I think that's that's a key piece of the jigsaw that Newcastle are probably missing. Um, if I was Benitez, that's that's a position that I'd be looking to address in the uh, in the transfer window. I would agree, and then I think you know you look at the back four as well. There's not a huge amount of experience there, but you arguably got Kieran Clark, maybe who's the most experienced there in the Premier League, and you know Kieran Clark played through the three four seasons that Aston Villa had, and were down there the whole time. So it's not something that you know you can really hang your hat on and they've looked at um lascelles to be that kind of catalyst but obviously he's had issues and, and can't isn't playing every game so you know you're looking at that and you're just on the back foot every single time and i think when you come up against a side like leicester yes they got lucky with the goals but they will always look to punish you as well they're quite direct and that you know they don't mind being direct but if you're going to put them in a position where they make it a lot easier you're on a hide into nothing every time. Yeah, I think it was interesting that Claude Puel came out after this game and, and he said, look, we, we weren't at our best. We didn't play particularly well, but we got the three points. That's the most important thing. And um, We've talked a lot about the way that he's gone in there because I don't think anyone necessarily expected him to go in and have such an impact on that team. He sets that team up and basically just tells them to go out and play. I don't think that he's too tactically minded when it comes to the way that they set up, certainly away from home. I think he just gives them the, the license to roam. I know that bringing Damari Gray into the team was, was a key decision and, and, and that's that's sort of bared a lot of fruit so far and they'll be looking at more points on the road when they when they go to Southampton in a week. Puel will have them bang up for that game. He'll want to go there and, and really sort of make a statement against a, a side that he feels he probably could have got a lot more out of and, and you almost see Leicester as challenging the likes of Burnley and Watford for the top seven, eight positions and also Obviously, in recent weeks, Everton have got, got got up there as well. And you sort of see Leicester in that cluster of teams. I don't think they'll be in any danger of going down. I just think that one thing's potentially key for them, and that's holding on to Riyad Mahrez in January because there's been a lot of transfer speculation. It wouldn't surprise you to see his head turn, given the fact that he'll obviously be able to play Champions League football from them. Yes, no, absolutely. That's a very good point. And, uh, yeah, I think Leicester, Leicester's an odd one, and I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on because they they do have the potential to push up for a Europa League place if necessary and you know they they that's ultimately going to be their aim because I think they're safe and they should be out of the, the relegation dogfight come the end of the season Newcastle on the other hand not so much and West Ham as well we're certainly down there but what a result on Saturday I don't think anyone saw that coming no not at all I think that, that everybody pretty much had this this one down yeah. as a Chelsea win and um, West Ham the one real difference in this game was the start. I think that they've previously been chasing games under David Moyes and, and they've they've never really been able to, to, to sort of get over the line. Now, to take the lead through Arnautovic early on as well, you just saw the whole crowd get behind them at that point. I think that 
Um, it's a stupid decision to run into the crowd and get booked, but I think it did get them on side. And I know that you're going to come on to talk about his post-match interview in a second. And I just think that that stadium can can play a big part in 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 that team going forward. And obviously, David Moyes alluded to that after the game as well. Now. I didn't think they'd be able to hold on for that long against no. Chelsea. Um, and, and obviously Chelsea created a decent amount of chances. There was only really the, the Morata sort of snapshot from, from just inside the West Ham uh, box in the uh, in the second half that that you could sort of say was a clear-cut opportunity. All, all the others tended to be pot shots. And that'll give West Ham a huge amount of confidence because defensively they've really struggled this, this season. And obviously since Moyes has, has come in, he's probably taken quite a bit more time on the uh, on the training ground he's looked to make them far more compact and hard working back there and it paid off on Saturday and sometimes you've got to ride your luck in the Premier League and they 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 did that really well yeah I mean you know they got the goal that they probably wouldn't have expected but they were then happy to just put 9 10 11 players behind the ball and you know the one player that came in this weekend with on out of it was Mark Noble and we've said the last few weeks that that's probably the right decision um but having a break and and then coming into a game like this has probably done him the world of good and him and Obiang in the the centre midfield were very very solid and I think naturally if you stop Chelsea playing through the middle and and push them out wide yes they've got strength there but you know if you if you've got Fabregas quiet in there if you've got Kante quiet in there you 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 know you're on the way to at least a positive result and I think also at the back you know as I said they're happy to put the players behind the ball but uh, Adrian again has had a, another great goal at, be, between the sticks and is Joe Hart going to get back in? Has Southgate's mind been made up for him in the summer? I, I think Joe Hart will get get back in. I, I think that Moyes will probably see his personality as too big to leave out. Uh, I think that it's, it's a difficult one because you can't really drop Adrian after the game that he had um, last week. Um, obviously Hart was ineligible in that game anyway but I think when he came in on Saturday and kept a clean sheet obviously he's going to struggle to drop him again. Now that's the only way that he's going to keep Hart out of the team is is if Adrian's on top of his game. Now, there's a big game for West Ham against Arsenal on Wednesday. If they can build on the three points against Chelsea with any sort of positive result, even if they manage to get a point or... Yeah. I mean, if they were able to keep a clean sheet in that game, that would be the first time that they've put two clean sheets together, I think, all season. Now, that's a solid base to build on. And if Adrian's able to to stay in goal for that game and then it's going to be difficult for Joe Hart but I think that it's likely the next time that West Ham do lose and ship a few he'll probably put Hart back in there yeah as you say that game massively important and as you touched on before to get that crowd on side you know Arnautovic and Moyes both pinpointed that as as being key and it's performances like that it's just that extra bit of effort that you're putting in every week as well that do make the difference and yeah I mean it's going to be a really good game that one um, on, on Wednesday and I'm looking forward to seeing the outcome of it. Arsenal obviously as we'll touch on need to do a little bit of work after this weekend as well but we'll get onto that after this short break where we go for the Championship and Hertha first. Indeed, join us then. Which one? Come and say it. You are expecting me to say <laughs> Which one? The deal back problem. Okay. That's funny. Made me laugh. Welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast, and we are going to take a trip to the Championship. The weekend started with a big win for Bristol City away at Sheffield United on Friday night. 2 1 with an injury time winner, which puts them three points behind Cardiff in third, who play red in this evening. The leaders' Wolves were held 0 0 at home to Chris Coleman Sunderland, which is a huge result for them. They'll no doubt take a lot from that draw, and Fulham at home next is a big, big game for Chris Coleman, isn't it? It is indeed, and uh, great to see Lee Catamore getting his standard red card in this game. I think the Sunderland fans will be absolutely <laughs> delighted that he's been uh, 
He's been banned for a few matches after that one. Absolutely. Well, Fulham themselves beat a, a still struggling Birmingham, 1-0 at Craven Cottage. Can't hard hide the delight in your, in your voice there. No, I'm not going to say too much because uh, we'll be getting onto my team shortly. But Derby County went up to fourth with an impressive 3-0 win against Barnsley at Oakwell. And Hull City have a new manager already following your man Leonard Schlutzky's departure last week. Nigel Adkins in the hot seat and he started with a 3-2 victory over Brentford at home. What are your thoughts on Adkins? Uh, got literally all the time in the world for Nigel Adkins. <laughs> We're big fans, aren't we? Yeah, I think he was he was dealt with horribly at Southampton, and I, he, he really deserves a a decent club. And uh, I just think, unfortunately, Hull City might be a bit too much of a basket case for him at this uh, at this juncture in his career. But he'll he'll give it his all, and he'll he'll do his absolute utmost to get the fans back on side there because they've had a real rough time of late. So uh, yeah, we wish Nigel all the best. Indeed. Well, it's a, a fair start for him to be to be honest with you. So. Onwards and upwards. Elsewhere, though, wins for Leeds, Norwich, Middlesbrough and Forest, who will all be seeking a strong festive period and to put some pressure on the, the top six. One of those top six, Aston Villa, my beloved Aston Villa. We drew nil-nil at home to Millwall, and on paper it looks a very poor result, but actually on the face of it, we'll happily take that point because we we were very poor. Um, we We had one shot on target and just... Yeah, Sam Johnson had a, another really, really good game, and you know we'll we'll take the point, and we'll we'll build on it, and it's a further extension of our unbeaten run. And Derby away next is going to be a real test of both sides' credentials when looking at the promotion as a target. And yeah, we've got some tough games coming up, and that was one that certainly idea marked as a a two 0 win, as I said last week. You did, yeah. Your run of spot on predictions for Villa ends at typically the first time I put money on it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it was always going to happen, wasn't it? And elsewhere in Germany, Hertha yeah, Berlin. I'm going to talk a little bit about Hertha. Now, before we, we talk about this weekend's result, I want to talk a little bit about their uh, end to their uh, UA, uh, Europa League campaign, which was last Thursday. Now, our mate Bundesliga Bill was there last Thursday. He saw the game. Uh, they were at home to Ustend. Um, that's the best pronunciation right, I've good. got. Who have who have been drawn against Arsenal in the next round of the Europa League, which is absolutely massive for them. And uh, your mate Graham Potter will be making the trip back to the homeland. And uh, I, I would, I'd, I'd love to go to that game. I don't know about you. Yeah, it'd be really good. I think uh, it could potentially cause an upset, and I think you know that could put him on the uh, certainly the the global stage, but very much the focus of uh, English clubs looking for a new manager. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise you at some stage to see his name actually get linked with some potentially yeah. championship clubs. I think we've uh, we've mentioned that before. So yeah, Hertha obviously ended their uh, their disappointing Europa League uh, sort of jolly, if yeah, you like, yeah. on, on Thursday. It wasn't the really much more than that, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they had a really difficult game away at FC Augsburg on Sunday. Now, Augsburg have been riding high this season and were only, I think, two points off, off third. And, and coming into this game, they sort of, on paper, saw this as a pretty pretty easy home win. And it looked that way up until the last minute where our friend and yours, Salomon Kalou, popped up with an equaliser um, a massive point for Hertha because they've struggled massively this season away from home and hopefully this will give them something to uh, to build on now in terms of the table it's not looking great for them because they do still find themselves in 12th position but now they're only three points off that relegation playoff spot um, and they will be looking over their shoulders as opposed to looking forwards now they really need to do something about their uh, their away form and obviously they've made a, a decent start with a point on uh, on Sunday their next game is 
this Wednesday. Now, obviously, we've got English League fixtures this Wednesday. We've also got a Hertha game, and they're at home to Hanover, a team that they would be absolutely hoping to beat. Hanover are a couple of points and a couple of places above them, and uh, and a win could ease those relegation fears for the Hertha boys. So, fingers crossed for the lads. And also, keep an eye on our Instagram account, because we're going to put one or two photos on there from Bundesliga Bill's trip to Germany. Now, join us after this break. We're going to go back to talking about the Premier League and my beloved Southampton. Thierry, who's tougher to face, Gary or Jamie? <laughs> can, I, can, I, can, I, can I just make a case for the defence first? This is the key part of the analysis on this. It's not the fact that Thierry Henry run past him, Stefan Encho runs past him. Thierry Henry, look at Encho run past him. Welcome back to the Sweeper podcast, everybody. Liverpool won, Everton won in the Merseyside derby. Thoughts? Um, just a really weird team selection. It was, uh, wasn't it? From from old Kloppo on this one, yeah. So you've got two of your best attacking players. Yeah, just stick them on the bench and just put Dominic Solanke and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on instead. Not a big game, though. Is no, it? no, no, not at all. Not. I mean, it's not your biggest rivals. It's uh, it's arguably not really a game that you need to win. Just, just yeah, go with your uh, go with your second string. That should be enough. What I would say though is they were probably the better team. Uh, I think the stats showed that, and you know the the chances showed that as well. And Everton will be more than happy to come away from that with a point, won't they? They will, yeah. And obviously, when when Salah scored that goal and, uh, and another one to add to his collection this season because he's been absolutely fantastic. Now, really just an, another baffling decision. Why bring him off with yeah. 25 minutes to go? And um, I just think that Klopp got this one completely wrong and sometimes you've got to hold your hands up rather than trying to blame the referee for the penalty decision. Now, contentious or not, and I know we'll come on to it, I think that sometimes you've just got to be big enough to front up to the media and say, I got it wrong today, I should have gone with my best team. And the thing is, if they beat Everton on the weekend, then you look at the the opportunity for them at midweek, that's when you can reshuffle your pack. But as a fan, if I'm going into that game and I see... Firmino and, and Coutinho on the bench and also as an Everton player if you see them on the bench you, I mean who who do you fear defending against more those two or Solanke and Chamberlain yeah no I agree and I think you know it's not as though you can even pinpoint the fact that he, he might want to confuse Sam Allardyce and his team talk at the end of the day you're playing at home in a game that on form you should be comfortably winning regardless whether it's a, a Merseyside derby but as you say a very contentious decision but for me it's a penalty he goes down quite easy but I think he's done all the right things in putting himself uh, in between the defender and the pool yeah we talked about his potential inclusion last week on the show and, and we, we sort of thought that he would cause problems for the uh, for the Liverpool defence because really he's the only striker that they've got who's mobile enough to run into the channels and, and, and make those decisions difficult for the likes of Lovren um, I'm always going to say it's a penalty when Dan Lovren's involved <laughs> uh, and, and I think even if I take my Southampton tinted glasses off I, I agree I think it was and um, it's a coming together and I think you look at it from behind which is the referee's view and it looks like an absolute nailed on penalty yeah. you look at it from the other side and it's it's potentially a harder one but that's not the view that the referee gets but he's not dived does he which, no, no, no. which is key you know he's, it, the, the movement that Lovren's made how hard it was is regardless he's still impacted the fact that Calvert-Lewin can't get to the ball yeah, that's right. And and you make a challenge like that in in the box, then you're on thin ice because anything can happen. And and it's stupid because he was going away from goal as well. He wasn't actually going towards goal. And really, Lovren should have managed that situation better. Let him get the ball, go down the line, shepherd him out, and allow the players behind him to get back. You could see the likes of Henderson breaking his neck to get back into the box. So the support was there. 
Um, but it's just another decision that's cost his team points. Do you think Klopp's um, kind of criticism of the of the penalty being awarded and his uh, kind of downright ignorance at the end of the game, do you think that was a, a kind of deflection away from the team selection? Do you think he knew that he'd made some mistakes there? I think it's more a deflection away from his team. Um, I think that although he's not been man enough to front up and say that he made the mistake, I think he's probably tried to take a bit of pressure off his players. Um, and in doing so, he's he's highlighted the referee's performance. And what's the worst that will happen to Klopp in that situation? He'll potentially get a fine, possibly a ban, but that's very unlikely because the FA don't like to make... Um, yep too many big decisions when it comes to these clubs because they know the ramifications that they can have and I think that he's he's probably done the right thing because what are we talking about? We're talking about the penalty yeah, decision absolutely, um, yeah. and, and and that's probably what people will, will take away from the game. Now he's got a, a massive chance to, to get things right at home to West Brom during the week, a team that have really struggled since Alan Pardew's gone in there and I think that it's very likely we'll see those four starting up front together. I think that, that, that Coutinho and Firmino will come back into the team and I think he'll play Salah and Mane and it wouldn't surprise me if you uh, you saw a fair few goals there in the week. Yeah, I think it's balls out of it this week. But uh, quick word on Everton, great penalty from Rooney and I think he's been instrumental for Allardyce so far. I think he's been involved with most of the goals, uh, including the game where he's in the stands as well. And you know, I think, as, as we said last week, he'll be looking at Rooney as that experience head to, to pull this all together. And uh, unbelievably, well, I say unbelievably, he's probably not that play, played that many games against Liverpool for Everton, but that was his first goal in the Merseyside derby. And I think it, you could see how much it meant to him as well. It did indeed, yeah. Um, somebody else who you could see how much a goal meant to them was uh, was Charlie Austin when yes, he scored Charles. after a couple of minutes for Southampton against Arsenal. Now, I'll do my usual mode about Saints. I'll, I'll let you sort of take the uh, take the Arsenal standpoint because I don't really think it's fair with my um, bias towards yeah. Southampton. Yeah, I think you know it was a, a fantastic start to the game for Southampton and super ball from Tadic who, who, like Charlie Austin's, looked really good the last few games and. Um, you know, you were unlucky not to be further in front, and Austin certainly himself not to, not to score another goal as well. But you know, Arsenal just they constantly ruin it for themselves, don't they? I couldn't believe the stat where um, they've conceded the most away goals other than West Ham and Watford in 2017. And you just think, for a club that has the ambitions they have and and even finish where they finish as well, it, it's amazing to see that they're still so poor defensively and particularly when you know we look back at Liverpool and we've constantly criticising them and Arsenal uh, almost under the radar to a certain extent from that point of view. Yeah and it was a defensive error which led to the first goal for, yeah. for, for Southampton and Mertesacker just basically passed the ball back to uh, to Austin, played a nice one too with Tadic just on the side and a really nice finish from a player who's in massive form. Um, I wonder whether Wenger made the right decision by putting Mertesacker in there to replace Mustafi. I think that Rob Holding would have probably been my choice. I, I think that that he he was available for the game and he probably could have slotted in there alongside Koscielny and just done a much better job. I think that Arsenal have um, looked very vulnerable at the start of matches and they do seem to to struggle with concentration early on and this was obviously exploited again and and then the game just completely changed second half. Saints did what they did against Brighton earlier in the season and thought that one goal lead against Arsenal would be enough and they just sat back and to be fair they soaked up a lot of what Arsenal had to throw at them I thought Pierre-Emile Hoiberg had another amazing game Jack Stevens did well when he came back into the team um, and we had a massive chance in the second half if Ryan Burchin st- sticks that one away when he's one-on-one with Czech then it's 2-0 and it's, it's probably curtains I think that Charlie Austin alluded to that in his post-match interview and um, I think that we were obviously left to to rue that, that, that chance because Giroud's come on as he often does and scored a 
scored a late header and, and you just wonder what the outcome of the game had been uh, would have been if he'd have started with Giroud. I think that sometimes you've got to show a little bit more attacking threat and who's to say that you can't put him and Lacazette up front and play Ozil and, and Sanchez just off him and, and sometimes Wenger has to take it on the chin and rather than blaming the officials as he seems to continue to do and, and um, sometimes similar to Klopp he's just got to take a little bit of responsibility and say that he, that, that, that he got it wrong. There's been a lot of link with Giroud going elsewhere in uh, in January to try and cement his place in the uh, in the France squad, and maybe it is worth Wenger giving him a few more games. No, I agree. I think you you're completely right. He's a great player and a great goal scorer as well. You know, we saw his record um, now is is matching Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's coming off the bench, but a player like that is going to be very very frustrated just sitting on the bench every week. He will indeed. Um, I, I think that before we move on, we should probably just give props to to, to Fraser Forster, somebody that we've criticised quite a lot in the uh, in the early parts of the season. He made a fantastic one-handed save down to his left from um, Aaron Ramsey in the first half, and then just looked really commanding in this yeah. game. Could do absolutely nothing for the for the goal, and hopefully he can take a bit of confidence into the game on Wednesday, a game which I I think he'll be pretty busy in. No, I agree. And uh, another goalkeeper that we've not spoken too much about this season, Matt Ryan for Brighton, didn't have his best game, did he, at Huddersfield? No, he was busy though, wasn't he? He, he, was. had, uh, he had a lot to deal with and, and I think Huddersfield tested him early on and somebody that we've been crying out for for the last few weeks from a Huddersfield, Huddersfield point of view is Steve Mounier and you saw he came in and scored two goals and he just looks so much better um, as the focal point of their attack than, than De, De Potra does and... Yeah. It's just frustrating from a Huddersfield point of view because they've had games in the last few weeks that that you would consider to be winnable and they should have probably got more out of those and and they had dropped dropped back. I know that they're that they're back up now. I think to twelfth and um, that's that's a great return. I, th- I think they've got eighteen points and they would have been happy with that at the start of the season. But you just wonder if if Mounier had been fit earlier in the season, how much of a difference that could have made and. Um, I, I just want to mention the crowd again. I thought they were amazing. Yeah. I, I seem to talk about every fortnight between the Huddersfield games, but I just don't think that you can underestimate the, the sort of part that they play in, in that in that team. And, and that could be the difference between getting them over the line at the end of the season. I, I, I just think that it, it's a great advert for the Premier League, I think, especially for people around the world who have never heard of Huddersfield before. If they can turn on and watch a game especially like the Manchester City game a couple of weeks ago and and this one against a relatively unfancy Brighton side I think that um they're just an absolute credit to the to the to the town and the club and they've got the opportunity to do it again on Tuesday against Chelsea and that'll be a massive game obviously Chelsea looking to bounce back Huddersfield with a a spring in their step as well and you, you know they could definitely put the pressure on Chelsea and it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Chelsea come away with nothing from that game if I'm honest yeah you never know um I think we need to talk about Brighton before we go any further I think that one thing I spoke about last week was the fact that Brighton have got goals in the team. They've got a goal scorer in Glenn Murray, and that's something that you can't underestimate in 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 terms of value for for anyone in the bottom half of the Premier League. But the issue that Brighton have is they've got Murray and they've got Davy Proper, who've both had um, decent seasons so far. Um, other than those two, I think you, you sort of struggle to to see somebody that 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 you can hang your hat on. I think that obviously Pascal Gross, when when fit, is 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 very good at home, um, but but the problem is when these players don't turn up and they almost have that core three, they struggle to have real strength in depth. And I think that's where Chris Hewton's probably going to have to go out and do something in the transfer window because if they lose Glenn Murray or if they lose Davy Proper or if they lose Pascal Gross, then 
you wonder whether they've got a ready-made replacement to come in and whether they're just going to continue to drop like a stone. And I think, you know, just as importantly, they need to make sure that they're not conceding goals like they did at the weekend as well. It was poor defending for the first goal, and obviously Ryan's uh, made a massive error with the second, and you just can't afford to do that at this level. And if you're not going to score goals, you at least need to keep a clean sheet. And, you know, away at Spurs next, as we've already said, you know, if they play like that, it could be an absolute drubbing, but we'll wait and see. It could indeed. Um, let's move on, though. Let's talk about Burnley 1, Watford 0. Um, and it's sort of testament to um, to the quality of the game that, that this is our second or penultimate game to talk about because these were two teams who've been the best of the rest, really, in terms of the Premier League this yeah. season. And we, we expected big things from this game on Saturday. And um, I guess the game was potentially spoiled a little bit when, when Watford went down to 10 men in the first half. But um, credit to Burnley, again, you just... The, you sometimes just struggle to find words to, t- to talk about them because they are that good and um, they they just continue this amazing run that they've had so far this season and they must be absolutely over the moon that, that Everton made the decision not to go for Sean Dyche because he just seems to find a way to beat teams regardless of who he's up against. Yeah, I think the, the sending off probably did change the game and you saw even with five minutes of the first half left to go that they you know, they absolutely went for it and they had a couple of chances before the goal as well. But Scott Arfield, the goal was very well worked and, and a really good tidy little finish as well. And, I, you know, I think they were probably disappointed not to get a penalty as well. And Barnes had one rolled out for offside in the second half, which you can kind of see the logic of. And there was a lot of complaints afterwards, but I, I think nine times out of ten, that's probably given as well. But, yeah, as you say, it, it's very, very impressive from Burnley and they are finding ways to beat every single team and, and put a... A challenge against everyone, really. That's right. Um, I think that Watford will be disappointed with this one. A, a team who do seem to be able to adapt fantastically well to to different games and different challenges. And I suppose Marco Silva and Sean Dyche are probably um, up there. If you take Guardiola out of the um, the equation, you'd probably put those two up for manager of the season so yeah, far. Sure, I, I don't think that you can look too much further than those two. And, uh, and I think, similar to what we said about Burnley last week when they lost, I think... Watford won't really take too much from the game. I think they'll they'll just sort of move on from it, and um, they've got a decent chance of picking up points away at Palace on Tuesday night. I think that um, with with the run that Palace have been on of late, obviously they've been improving, and Watford have sort of done okay. It should be a, should be a decent spectacle at Selhurst Park. Absolutely, and the final game of the weekend, Swansea City won West Brom nil, and it was a huge huge result for them, and. I thought when when I saw the teams, it was like watching Swansea four or five years ago. There was Routledge and Dyer on either side with Bonnie through the middle, and you know for me that that's quite indicative of Swansea's issues. There's a a lack of quality recruitment, the fact they're still relying on those players. But credit where credit's due, it's a great result for them, and you know Pardew's not got off to the greatest start with his West Brom side, and I thought they looked very very poor at the weekend. I think this was incredibly important in terms of Swansea's season because. If they'd have lost this, they've got Manchester City during the week, and um, I think that they've got very little opportunity to pit points up in a game like this. I think yeah. that Clement struggled against sides around him so far this season, and you imagine that Swansea have probably still got some pretty tough fixtures between now and Christmas. So to get the three points in this was was massive. I think that the fact that Wilfred Boney's got two in two will hopefully from a Swansea point of view lead to a bit more confidence in their in their in their front two. The issue that they've got is it's either one of him or Abraham who's scoring the goals. They need both of them to fire at the same time. If they can do that, then they might have a chance of pulling away, but I still think that they're going to struggle and the longer they hold on to Paul Clement, I think the longer they'll be in the bottom three. Absolutely. Well, that rounds up the Premier League for this week and it's been an absolute pleasure, but we're now going to move on to the quiz. 
Lewis. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Weeper podcast, and it's time to move on to the quiz. But before we do that, we want to say a few thank yous to people, don't we? Because we had our first live event uh, last week. It was Wednesday night at Leeds Beckett University in the city centre, and we had a really decent turnout. We had um, some new faces there that we that we'd never met before, which was lovely. Some uh, avid listeners as well. Yep. We were we were quite happy to talk about the podcast with afterwards, and uh, hopefully now a few of you will uh, be able to contribute because there were a few people who said oh, I was going to send an email in, but I just sort of didn't want to. Well, do it because we want to <laughs> hear from you. Um, and uh, and yeah, we had a great night. Some some difficult questions, and uh, the winning team. We should probably just give them. Uh, a shout out what were they called Crystal Phallus standard football quiz yep. team name there um, no points for originality but you were uh, head and shoulders I think in the end I think they won by about four four or five yeah points, it was quite like a few they did very well yeah. so yeah um, and the good news is we've already got our second event penciled in so uh, the likelihood is that we're going to have another football quiz and it will hopefully be at the same venue uh, around the start of February so keep your ears peeled for that one there will be something on our social media platforms for that. And uh, before we go on to this week's quiz, Mitch is going to tell you how you can get in contact with us. Yes, get in touch with us at Twitter at The Sweeper Pod, Instagram and Facebook, search The Sweeper Podcast. And as Michael said, you can email us at thesweeperpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, get your podcasts from iTunes and SoundCloud. And on iTunes, I know we had a, another few people that were subscribing at the quiz, weren't they? Get involved, subscribe, rate, review. Five stars would be an absolute treat. Thank you very much. Indeed, yeah. So, let's move on to this week's quiz. The scores on the doors, Mitch, before we continue. You are winning 14-12. So, it's a two-point lead for me currently, but I think you've got a decent chance. We say this every yeah, week, don't every we? every single week. Um, and we get one point. So, um, I, I reckon you might do a little bit better this okay, week. So, we'll your team of choice, they're from the Midlands. Yeah. It's not Birmingham. It's the Albion. So, okay. your questions will be on West Bromwich Albion. Same format, yeah. five questions, five points up for grabs. And I'm going to start you off with the first question, classic, which is, within 1,000, what is the capacity of the Hawthorns? Oh, I knew that I didn't want that to be the first one, because I'm genuinely struggling. Uh, I'm going to go Have with... Have a think. I'll go with 32,000. It's incorrect. No, the capacity is 26,688. Wow. So not a huge ground, the Hawthorns. Not at all, um, no. But not really one that needs extending either because <laughs> you don't <laughs> sort of tend to see them um, fill it too often, no. do you? Um, but yeah, so the next question is about the FA Cup. Now, West Brom have won the FA Cup before. How many times have they won it? I will go just one. It's incorrect. They've won the FA Cup five times. Wowzers. Yeah. Okay. Um and I was absolutely unaware of that as well. The the majority of their wins did come early doors, however, so they've won it in eighteen eighty eight, eighteen ninety two, nineteen thirty one, nineteen fifty four, and their final success was nineteen sixty eight. So okay. a team with decent FA Cup pedigree. The next question is about the uh highest transfer fee that West Brom have played, paid for a player. Okay. So, the highest transfer fee paid by the club is to Zenit St. Petersburg for Solomon Rondon on the 10th of August 2015. And I will give you a million pounds either way. Now, it's not the fee that it could rise to, but it's the fee that they paid by the club. I'll go for 24 million. 24 million? No, that's incorrect. It was 12 million <sighs> for, uh, for big Solomon Rondon. 
Shocker. You are, but you've still got two questions left. And um, this one is inherently gettable. Right, brilliant. So, who was West Brom's captain in the 2016-2017 season? Club captain, yeah. Um, I've just got him down as captain, but I assume he would have been club captain, yeah. I'll go with Chris Brunt. No, it was Darren Fletcher, who since departed to Stoke. I thought you would have got that one. I would have thought it would have been Chris Brunt before him, but fair enough. It's uh, it's Darren Fletcher, and it's currently Ben Foster. Okay. So, the final question, and the chance for you to get on the board, is back to the Hawthorns. So, in what year, and I'm going to give you two years either side, in what year did West Brom start playing at the Hawthorns? I will give you five years either side, sorry. <laughs> given, the, my face, given the yeah. look that you've just given me, I'm going to give you five years either side. I will go for 1905. Oh, he's got his standard point, hasn't he? I'll take that. The Hawthorns was open in 1900. Okay, so yep. you are uh, just within the five-point barrier there. And you've, uh, yeah, you've I'll, done it again. I'll take it. I've scraped through Just to the let point you know there. as well, record attendance at the Hawthorns, you'll never believe it, 64,815 in there. I was just about to say that exact number. Yeah, I bet it was on the tip of your tongue. It so, was. that makes the scores 14-13 in our ever-extendable one-point-per-week yep. quiz. Um, that, I believe, is the final week of our five-point quiz, so we will be on another topic for, for, for next week. So please do get in touch and give us an idea of what you would like us to go for. And uh, it's educational. We talked to a couple of people on Wednesday who said that they uh, they enjoyed the quiz very much because it allowed them to learn a little bit more about the football clubs that they don't necessarily know a huge amount about. So Indeed. Well, we'll no doubt talk about something else completely irrelevant to anything that's topical at the moment next week but join us then we'll look forward to rounding up two lots of premier league games and a bit of championship action at the weekend as well indeed yeah we'll speak to you then sayonara au revoir